Exceeding Expectations, episode 64. Today's guest, Jeff Polvino. We talk about marketing strategies and how they can really help take your business from doing okay or maybe struggling to really succeeding, to getting revenue you'd never dreamed of. And he tells one fascinating story about exactly how he did that for someone who was struggling to pay very small bills into taking them into earning comfortably seven figures a year. So that's coming up this week's episode with Jeff Polvino. This is the podcast where we aim to give you ideas how to exceed your customers' expectations, to over-deliver and give them a fantastic experience that results in you getting better referrals, recommendations, reviews, and um, rebookings. It would be great if you could leave a review for us on iTunes. If you like the podcast, please do leave a review. I'm not asking for five stars. Be completely uh, truthful about how you find the podcast. If you've got any comments for how it could be improved, then please do write to me. You can write to me, Tony at exceedingexpectations.me. That's Tony at exceedingexpectations.me. And let me know your thoughts. If you've got suggestions for a guest, it would be great to hear that as well. We've also got a Facebook group, which is called Exceeding Expectations at Facebook. Hope you enjoy this week's episode with Jeff Porvino. Welcome to Exceeding Expectations. My guest today, Jeff Polvino. Is it? Did I pronounce that correct, Jeff? Uh, Tony, you did it perfectly. Fantastic. And you're in sunny Sacramento. Yes, I am. And how long have you been there? I've been in the Sacramento area for probably approaching uh, 15 years. I'm not so familiar with Sacramento. So is it summer all year round? Definitely not. But we don't get um, a lot of the in between. So we, you know, we we don't have a, a real big spring or fall as much as you would maybe anticipate in other areas of the country. It's so it's kind of like either mm. summer or winter. And so, I mean, are you able to wear shorts for much of the year? Or, I mean, how cold would it get in the winter? Oh, yeah. you could, Most people will wear shorts throughout the year. I mean, it might get down uh, cold in the mornings. Like uh, in the morning today, it was probably in the high 40s. And in the afternoon, it'll be probably in the mid to high 70s. So, you know, depending on what time of day mm-hmm. it is, you can really go out and enjoy some fantastic weather um, just about all year round. Mm-hmm. Unless it's raining, of course. Right. And is and what is Sacramento? Is it famous for anything in particular? Well, it is the capital of California. And uh, even though it's a capital, it's kind of still maybe one of the smaller big cities in, in um, California. So it's it's, uh, you know, a big city with all the politics and government and um, but it still has kind of a small town feel to it. So, you know, not near as big as like Los Angeles or San Jose or uh, San Francisco. Hmm. What was I mean, how long have you been living there, did you just say? Oh, I've been here for uh, about 15 years now. And so what was it brought you down in the first place? Um, you know, it was family. Uh, I had uh, traveled and lived in various areas of the United States. I actually grew up in the Chicago area and moved to uh, the Bay Area when I was a teenager, um, moving in with my father and uh, my parents had been divorced. And um, so I, uh, through career choices, I had traveled all over the U S like Minneapolis and Texas and, you know, all, all, all kinds of places, New York. And, uh, when that career path ended, uh, I came back to California, ended up in uh, Sacramento because that's, um, where I had family specifically. My mom was up here in Sacramento. 
mentioned about sort of career path changing. So what was it you did when you got to Sacramento? Uh, well, before I got to Sacramento and what was um, resulting in all the travel, I was working for a VC funded startup by the name of CBCA. So, you know, back in the dot com boom in the Silicon Valley, you know, uh, everybody was trying to get uh, jobs with startups and stock options. And I was one of those people who were seeing my friends, you know, start up uh, with a VC funded company, get stock options and go public. And next, thing you know, they're a millionaire. And so sounded mm-hmm. like a pretty good gig to me. And so it's definitely a path I pursued and went down. And I worked for a couple of VC funded startups. And the uh, the last was uh, CBCA, where we had uh, was in the healthcare space. And we'd raised uh, over $100 million in multiple tranches. And we grew to be the, uh, the largest um, privately owned uh, healthcare administrator in that space. And so that was an amazing adventure. And when that ended, uh, that's what brought me back to California. I was in Texas at the time and, you know, I, that career, uh, ended and, uh, I came back to California and wasn't sure what I was going to do and ended up uh, getting involved in real estate. And that's where I got really interested in entrepreneurial ventures and kind of like started my entrepreneurial efforts in my life, uh, resulting from that. How were you involved in real estate? What were you doing? You know, um, I was uh, working for a small investment or hedge fund that was based out of uh, San Diego, California, that was buying uh, distressed properties. And so we would uh, Mm -hmm. buy properties that were, um, let's say, in foreclosure or in litigation um, that usually would need uh, rehabilitation. And so we'd buy these um, properties at at a discount and rehab them and sell them at you know, top of market value. And that was during the tail end of the last, you know, real real estate boom. So, you know, by the time you'd buy a property and flip it, it had gone up another hundred thousand dollars. So it was, uh, it was very lucrative for us and the company and, um, they had, they were expanding. So I started in, uh, Bakersfield, Southern California and, and opened up all of Northern California for them as a, a region. And, we bought, bought a ton of properties until the market collapsed and then that company went bankrupt. Hmm. And so what happened from there? I mean, because the, the crash, well, it, it was all around the property market, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, hit, uh, it hit, you know, the entire United States, but it definitely hit California market, especially hard, especially in some of the areas that we were, uh, had just launched, like Stockton, California was one of the hardest hit in the nation. And so, you know, we had owned several properties in Stockton, California. So when, when that market crashed, it, you know, housing prices dropped by, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70% in some cases. And so when that, when that ended, um, that's when I, uh, started to get involved in entrepreneurial ventures. And some of them were, you know, mortgage, real estate related. Um, we were helping people with their property taxes, helping people with their toxic loans, and so, you know, when the market continued to crash, because, uh, you know, that that span of the market crashing, you know, probably lasted a good two, three years. And when real estate didn't seem um, as viable long term, what we had done is we were we had started a, um, a company that was in the mortgage industry that was doing twenty five million dollars a year when the mortgage market finally fully collapsed. And we had our own internal marketing department. So we were sitting around as business owners and entrepreneurs and we were 
discussing what are we going to do tomorrow? You know, it was the day after the entire mm. mortgage market just dropped out and there was, you know, nothing anybody could do. And, and so, you know, we decided that, Hey, we've got this department that has been doing the marketing for all of our companies. Why don't we spin that department out and create a marketing company? And so that's what we did. And that's how we got, mm-hmm. that's how we got in the marketing business. And, you know, we've been there ever since. So that was uh, about uh, 10, 11 years ago. And, and how easy or difficult was that process? Uh, you know, it, in concept, it seemed like it was going to be really easy, but, you know, marketing is such a digital marketing is such a, a wide spectrum of services and specialties. And it's something that, you know, changes every day um, from the competitive landscape to, you know, algorithm changes, you know, every aspect of it. And so it's mm. been, it's been the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. And so we, we've gotten very good at it. And, um, but it's definitely something that I, you know, in comparison to anything else that I've done in my life, it's been definitely the most challenging because you, you have to keep, uh, on top of it all the time. It's, it's ever changing and there's so much to it. Hmm. And so do you specialize in any sort of particular niche or, or what do you do? Well, you know, interesting enough, when we started the company, um, about 10 years ago, uh, we started in social media because that was like the new landscape of what we were working on uh, at the time. It was like, you know, Facebook and, and how do you market on Facebook was the, the newest, hottest thing. So we started in social media and expanded into other areas because of necessity. Like if we did a good job on their social media and their website was terrible, then of course we would have to, you know, uh, fix their website. So um, over the course of the years, we've expanded into all areas of digital marketing. And um, over the last probably, you know, three to five years, there's been um, a few very highly specialized things that we've done. Um, part of that is, you know, you know, e-commerce, funnel creation and management and really building um, customers that are selling, you know, products online and their, their funnels and marketing funnels and their marketing automation. One of the, one of the second areas where we um, got super focused and highly, I would say, specialized in what we do and what truly differentiates us from most other marketing agencies revolves around our um, digital marketing strategy process. Um, what we've learned over the years, it's, it's really odd that most people that are um, in marketing or trying to market their business, that, you know, they just don't have a plan, anything in writing, no marketing plan, especially no digital marketing plan. And for us, it's kind of like been building a house without a blueprint. And when you do that, if you can imagine like building a house without a blueprint, like the walls not meeting together and the, the faucet is two feet over from where the sink's supposed to be. And, uh, you know, just imagine all the nightmares of how everything would come together. Well, digital marketing is, is very complex. Much like building a house, you've got all these certain aspects, you know, like plumbing, electricity, flooring, roofing. You've got SEO, pay-per-click, social media, social media advertising, you know, retargeting, email marketing, funnels, marketing automation, CRM. Like you've got all these pieces that go into a very well-established and well-executed marketing plan. And what we've realized over the years is that without mapping all that out, without having a strategy that most importantly ties to the business owner's immediate and long-term goals that you can't effectively market for the business and help them hit their goals. You might think you're doing a great job marketing. You could have built the best website. You could be driving traffic to it. 
but the business owner could be experiencing a decline in revenue. And so why do you think why do you think people get so confused by it? Well, because one, it's it's probably one of the most daunting subjects to stay on top of because it's just changing, you know, so fluidly on a daily basis and there's so much to it. So, you know, you've got just hmm. the, the sheer learning curve of it and how complex it is. But, you know, the 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 lack of the roadmap, I think, is really the 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 key differentiator, you know. Imagine, hmm. um, you know, I, I kind of look at it as like the old pioneers traveling across the U.S. They didn't have maps or GPS, and they'd get lost, and they'd end up, you know, getting detours, and getting stuck. And you, you know, nowadays we have GPS; we, we hardly ever get lost. And hmm. from a marketing perspective, a lot of these techniques and are so complex and so new, and we're trying to navigate them without the map. And the map doesn't hmm. tie into the the business goals, and that's really the process that we take our clients through and when they first engage with us, we do a full marketing strategy workshop and we, we take them through that process and we identify the map and plan things out for the next one to three years. And, um, it allows us to truly execute and impact the, the business's goals and bottom lines. And it, it helps us create, um, long-term relationships. So when they come to you, do they realize they need that map or does that come as a real surprise when you explain that? 99% of the time, they have no idea they need that map. So that, I mean, so you straight away exceeded their expectations just by doing that part of it. Yeah. A lot of times they are coming to us because they think they want a, you know, a specific product or service. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when we say and, and talk to them about going to work on that product or service, you know, we approach it like, hey, we're happy to do SEO for you. But if we're doing SEO mm-hmm. and we don't understand your business goals and we don't have everything mapped out, SEO might not even be the best thing for you right now. It could be that you're better off mm-hmm. taking that budget and spending it on pay-per-click and adding revenue to your bottom line based on your current mm-hmm. you know, position company health-wise or w- whatever your revenue goals are. So it's a much more consultative approach that um, allows us to map out all aspects of digital marketing. And we do a lot of in-depth analysis on where they're at in the marketplace, but also like, you know, what their competition's doing and who's really, mm-hmm. um, who are the outliers in all the different areas of marketing that we can learn from so that we're, mm-hmm. instead of guessing what's going to work, we're actually using market data to plan on what's going to work. So are you able to give us any sort of examples or stories of where you've helped someone who just had no idea about any of that and you just sort of transformed what they were doing? Yeah. You know, one of our most famous uh, case studies has to do with a athlete by the name of uh, Jeremy Buendia, who is a um, Olympian bodybuilder. So I met Jeremy in between his uh, second and third Olympia title. Um, and he Mm -hmm. hired us to do some website work. Uh, his buddy had built his website. They like kind of maxed out his buddy's skill set, and he needed a professional to come in and finish up some things. And I remember doing a little bit of work and it was like $3,000 and I'm, you know, became friends with Jeremy and I'm I'm trying to hound him to pay me for this $3,000, which isn't a lot of money. And I'm, you know, I'm telling Mm. Finally, I kind of break down because we've developed a friendship. I'm like, Jeremy, why am I having to chase you for this $3,000? Like, you're, you're at the top of your game. Like, you're uh, an Olympian hmm. champion. Like, you should, you know, this should be nothing for you. And he's all, hey, Jeff, I don't really make a lot of money. Hmm. Like, my, the lifestyle of traveling and doing this type of work and what it takes 
And what they pay us in award money and prizes is very, very little in comparison. So yeah, a lot of times I'm broke. And it, it just, I remember, you know, at this point I've been, I've owned my own agency for about seven years. And I remember it just really kind of like, like almost my jaw dropped, you know, and I, mm. and I just had this aha moment, but kind of in a shocking way, like how could somebody who's so famous in their industry not be making money? And so my brain, you know, kind of started uh, spinning the wheels and gears. And so what we ended up doing was we ended up partnering with Jeremy and we built his entire funnel. We laid out the strategy, just like mm. we discussed, and we we built the funnel and, you know, I told them, I said, year one, we'll do six figures, our goal. And year two will be, uh, uh, three to 500,000 and year three, we're want to be, you know, right around maybe 800,000. So we mapped everything out, laid out some very detailed goals and we, um, uh, we hit our goals year one and year two, and we exceeded the goal, uh, year three, we actually hit a million and went over the 800,000 year three goal. And so, um, that, that's been an amazing journey and, and, to this day, nobody's ever monetized the industry like Jeremy has. And it, it's become something that we're really proud of because we took him from, you know, zero dollars online to seven figures online. And, and we built every aspect of that. And that's a case study we published about a year ago. Wow. So you've completely transformed that guy's life. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And well, and so what, I mean, as a, so as a bodybuilder, what sort of things would he be doing to be able to make money? What was it you were able to change that was able to make money for him? Yeah, so he's very passionate about his sport and he's um, got a lot of knowledge and expertise. And so we were able to take mm -hmm. that and develop um, different products and services around his areas of passion. So we developed mm -hmm. um, uh, ebooks, um, membership site, and uh, we also developed uh, coaching programs and um so, you know, between those uh, three different uh, product lines um, are what generated the direct, the direct sales. But as a result of the increased sales, fame, traffic and popularity, we were able to bring in um, several, several sponsorship opportunities from supplement companies and clothing lines um, that also resulted in significant income. And then eventually we, um, uh, launched a, a whole nother clothing line called Hero Hero that, um, did very well. Uh, you know, did well over a million dollars first year and, uh, in, t in 20 plus countries first year. So, um, that success that what, what's interesting is that initial success, you know, bred increased success in other areas. And so um, it's been a phenomenal journey for him and for us. Mm. And so what, I mean, obviously, you know, it changed his life. So how did it change things for you? Because a lot of people must have started wanting to, to work with you because of that. Yeah, I think it gave us a lot, a lot of clout and credibility and as, as an agency and in the industry and, and especially in the health and fitness um, niche, if you will. Uh, and it's, it gave us the confidence to um, do a lot more advanced um, marketing strategies and campaigns as an industry. It was kind of a defining moment for us. But before that, I think we were probably, you know, an average industry uh, um, agency in the mm -hmm. industry. And, and going through that, I think we're um, extremely above average and able to execute on, um, you know, digital campaigns, e-commerce campaigns. And, and so, you know, it's been uh, something that, 
uh, I think really pulled the team together and increased everybody's knowledge and expertise throughout the process. And so when you're creating a strategy such as you did for him, is there a point where you have to take some real sort of chances and risks and you're thinking, well, that might work, but maybe it won't. And is it, is it like that or how does it work? You know, with marketing, um, I think there's always uh, challenges and risks based on a hypothesis, right? I think the difference with the strategy mm. is we're basing our ideas or hypotheses in the strategy based on market research and data and that supports mm. our hypothesis versus just trying to be creative and guess what's going to work, which is what I find so many other agencies doing. Um, mm. the, the, you know, the differentiator also is it's okay if something doesn't work as long as you're aware of it and adjusting it because, you know, you could have two of the exact same companies. Imagine a franchise so that you've got like a subway mm-hmm. franchise. So your, your customer, ideal customer is exactly the same. Your product's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Your branding's exactly the same. You could, you could launch um, a very specific ad campaign. Maybe it's a social media ad campaign and you could launch that ad campaign in, in Los Angeles and one in Dallas. And you could have the one in Los mm. Angeles do phenomenal and the one in Dallas tank. And so you've got mm. identical like companies, branding, um, identical uh, products and services. You could be targeting the same target audiences. So, you know, with marketing in those scenarios, we're using a lot of data that makes us think it's going to be okay. And so even with your best hypothesis in place, you always have to measure the result and be able to track and adjust. Because if not, Mm. then you're not going to, one, optimize the campaign, and two, you're never going to reach peak performance in that campaign. Hmm. So when, I mean, so for people that like, like myself who are non-marketers, and we hear a lot about things such as split testing and so on, so what, how much of a difference would split testing make? And and what, what is it that you really do when you're doing something like that? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, if you're a marketer, you know who Neil Patel is, and he's obviously somebody yeah. anybody who's in marketing follows. And I was watching kind of a State of the Union type speech that he's done recently, sometime in the last few months that I've seen it. Um, and they they had uh, interviewed you know hundreds and hundreds of different marketers and um, small marketers, big agencies, people who worked at Fortune 500 companies, and they interviewed you know. Tons and tons of questions, but the question I'm getting to is conversion optimization. And so what was interesting about the metric he quoted in this conference was that that out of all the marketers interviewed, conversion optimization was what got the best result based on the budget spent on it. So based on if I spent if I had ten thousand dollars to spend and I spent a thousand dollars on conversion optimization, 10 percent of my budget that got better results than any of the money I spent anywhere else in comparison, as far as mm-hmm. ROI goes, right? Return on investment of that, of mm-hmm. that money spent. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty, pretty impactful. So when you talk about AB testing, conversion optimization, that's just a, a kind of a nice little way to, to categorize it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other aspect of that was that it was also the area that, that most marketers spent the least amount of money on. And so what, I, what I'm getting at is I think conversion optimization is kind of a hidden gem within opportunities of most um, marketing packages because most people aren't even getting to conversion optimization. They're, they're just still working on deploying the initial strategies. Hmm. 
So would you suggest to most companies who are thinking about they're trying to come up with some kind of strategy, they should that's something they should really look at first? Yeah, I think a lot of times they're trying to think how to reinvent and, and do something new and constantly maybe keep it fresh. And there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. that. I think, you know, we try to keep uh, the campaigns fresh that we do, but we also will design campaigns to be evergreen and run as long as possible so that we can do conversion optimization and really get the peak performance out of those campaigns. Hmm. So and where do you, how do you see things changing for, for your sort of industry over the next few years? Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, we're going to see a lot of advancements with bots and AI. You know, um, hmm. we've, we've seen it over the last couple of years. Uh, uh, today I was at customer support with Amazon trying to, find out why my order that was placed that was supposed to be here tomorrow was all, all of a sudden moved to Tuesday. And um, it was very interesting to me because I could tell I'm dealing with a bot, but it was very human-like. You know, as I was, as mm. I was talking to or, or actually texting with the Amazon uh, support chat person, I realized it was a bot and the bot was very human-like. And, and I was even trying to, you know, uh, get to the point where I felt like I was with a human or could get the answer that I wanted. But it, it just it really reinforces how far AI has come. And um, we, we are, we're using bots like that within uh, marketing campaigns using, you know, Facebook messenger or um, um, website chat or uh, you know, um, uh, different various uh, chat engines. And I think Instagram is going to be another one that's going to be very popular as they deploy Instagram on the Facebook chat channel. Uh, so I, you know, I think AI and bots and, and automation is really going to, um, be something that's huge. And uh, of course, that kind of ties into the next topic, which would be, um, you know, uh, AI voice search tools like Alexa. You know, I I could see us, you know, in the future, just asking Alexa, where should I eat lunch? Book me a reservation. And Alexa, knowing my preferences is going to be able to, you know, pick the right spot. And Alexa is going to make those decisions based on her information and and it's going to be less about us searching on Google and finding the perfect restaurant. And so how do you think it will change change your business? Oh yeah, I think it's it's changing now already on a daily basis and and just uh will continue to change. Um I think that uh it's it's going to be something that businesses are going to have to be more adapt than ever in order to compete in uh, today's world with digital marketing. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many case studies of businesses who haven't planned for this or thought it was a fad that were monstrous businesses that have gone under like Toys R Us or Sears or JC Penney's, you know, that either have, have completely gone out of business or have had dramatic impacts and nearly gone out of business and had to file bankruptcy or reorganize the company. And so they, you know, and for every one of those large companies, there's thousands of small companies. And so I think if you're a small business owner, and you're thinking that you're, you know, you don't have to be dependent upon digital marketing. Um, I think you're just, you're putting yourself at an unnecessary risk. Do you, are you mostly working with local companies or are you like all across the States or even other countries as well? Yeah, we, you know, we work with um, small local mom and pop companies all the way to national brands. Uh, we've even worked internationally. I've worked with a, a large boating manufacturer out of Canada. I worked with, uh, oddly enough, um, um, some musicians and uh, music studios out of Italy. Uh, we've worked with a staffing company out of Australia. So, you know, people have, have found us uh, internationally, but the core of our business is here in the U.S. 
And so what are your general thoughts on exceeding expectations? I, well, I think it's, it's exceeding expectations has got to be a core function of what we do at Boost Media Group. Um, you know, we, we, and, and once we adopted this methodology of working on strategies, it's really allowed us to, you know, to live that out. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and why we, we don't like working with anybody, uh, in, unless we've done the strategy workshop as part of implementing the services, because it's, it's so difficult to build a house without a blueprint. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, no matter how good we are as a marketing agency, if we don't have that blueprint of what what we should be doing and how that's supposed to affect the business, mm-hmm. then, you know, it, it's just not as uh, easy to execute on. And and what I like to know going into it is the goals of the business and how I'm going to achieve those goals so that I'm not then having to rely on necessarily the feedback from the business of, Hey, are we doing a good job of marketing? Mm-hmm. Because I'm able to like see how I'm impacting the business because we've level set on the goals before we even started marketing day one. Hmm. And so what would the strategy workshop involve? So is that like a sort of whole day thing where you, you'll sit down with their whole team or how would it work? It's um, an interactive uh, virtual environment. Um, we send a questionnaire first uh, and that questionnaire gets filled out by the company and the team. Hmm. And then once they fill that out, then they meet with myself and my entire strategy team. And we debrief them and unpack the answers uh, in the questionnaire. So going more in depth, maybe questions they didn't answer because they weren't sure how. And, under, and it goes really in depth to understand, you know, the business, um, their vision, their products, their services, their target customers, um, who their competition is locally, nationally, uh, direct, indirect, and and so on. What they've done from a marketing perspective, what they're doing, what they tried and failed. And, and we, we go really, really in depth. Once we unpack all that information, we then go to work with a, a very extensive audit of all of their assets. Like what are they doing online, um, getting access to their website, their Google Analytics, their Facebook account, um, advertising accounts that they're doing that. We, we analyze everything that they've been doing from a marketing perspective. Hmm. Uh, and we go, we go that in depth on all of their uh, competition, direct, indirect competition small local competition if they're a local company and then big national brands because if you're a local company i'm sure you there's a, a big national brand that's your competitor as well mm-hmm. and uh we also look for outliers like who's doing it right who's doing a good job so maybe even not a competitor that we came up with but maybe we find a potential competitor on instagram that's just crushing it mm-hmm. or on youtube so we look for the outliers in the industry and then we analyze all of the competitors and the outliers on the same way so we can find uh, you know, with the tools we have, we can see what ads are running and how much traffic they're driving hmm. and what keywords they're using. So instead of us just, you know, guessing or doing research based on our client, we're doing research based on the whole, the whole landscape. Hmm. Um, what, once that's done, we use all that research to develop a, a strategy in each of the core uh, marketing areas, uh, such as, you know, SEO, pay-per-click, retargeting, uh, content marketing, um, social media marketing and management, social media advertising, uh, email marketing. And it all ties together with what we call pillar content, which is long form content. And we break that up into micro content that ladders back up to the pillar content. So strategically, everything has a call to action that's meant to engage the, the um, audience more, bringing them down that funnel into uh, you know, a lead and a customer. And, you know, that's, that's really 
what's going to differentiate not only us doing that strategy, but what the content we put out of it being truly effective in lead generation and, and then getting a true ROI out of it. So, you know, mapping out the, the micro content that we put in social media so that there's actual purpose to it and can drive it into a lead is mm. uh, a big part of that strategy. So do you, are there any sort of sectors or industries that you prefer to work with or is it quite varied? It is quite um, varied. There's some areas of specialty, like, uh, of course, the health, wellness and fitness industry is a, a huge specialty of ours based on the success that we've had there. Um, we're very proficient in the real estate and mortgage industry, um, as well as the um, automotive and boating industry. We've got a lot of experience in those specific niches. Um, you know, I, I, I like the, the fitness industry because it kind of is just fun and exciting. Like if you've ever been to like when I the first time I went to the Olympia competition in Las Vegas, it you know, you, you're going to this business conference and, and uh, competition, but it's much more like uh, just kind of a fun rally um, in the health and fitness space comparatively to maybe something that we've all been to before for business. So the fitness industry can be a lot more, I think, fun and exciting based on uh, it's general, it's generally a, a different vibe than maybe if you were dealing with software engineers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of like to have a little fun when I'm working. So that, that's, uh, if I had to say that's been really enjoyable as far as like a niche that I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. Well, if people want to, to get more information on the things that you do, where, where should they go to? Well, they, they can go to boostmediagroup.com. That's boostmediagroup.com. That's our business website, and that's the marketing agency. They can go there, read about our services, and inquire uh, about a free evaluation. Or if they'd like to just maybe schedule some time to talk to me, they can go to jeff.marketing. So no.com, just jeff.marketing. And that's my um, own personal website. They could um, you know, schedule a call with me and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Like I'll get on the phone with just about anybody. I'll give somebody up to half an hour of my time and uh, I'd love to meet people, provide value to your life. I'm, I'm not here to sell or pitch people services. I'm actually here to just figure out how to build relationships and help and provide value. And if that somehow results in us working together, great. If not, then, you know, I, th- I believe in it kind of pays it forward eventually. Hmm. So is there, um, do you have a, a, a quotation that you like, Jeff? Um, you know, I, I don't have a specific quote that comes to mind, but I can tell you, um, one of my favorite people as far as a mentor goes is Walt Disney. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best at remembering a a true definitive quote, but I'll tell you my mentor, one of my mentors, if I had to to pick somebody that I'd like to be able to go back in time and meet, it's definitely Walt Disney. And, you know, I like what he, what he, um, accomplished from a business perspective. And so what, what is it? Is there anything particular that you like about what he did? You know, I, of course, what he accomplished and what is still uh, being accomplished by his initial efforts were amazing. But I think one of the most um, inspiring things to me is, you know, just how much opposition he went up against to get his ideas launched and what he overcame to uh, and what he had to do to, to continue to fail forward. And, and no matter how many times he failed, he just never gave up. And, you know, just when you really like peel back and watch some of his documentaries or read some of the books that have been written about him, it's just, uh, he was an amazing individual who had, uh, uh, immense perseverance as an entrepreneur. Hmm. Well, Jeff, it's been a real pleasure, um, speaking of you and also really informative as well. So thank you for, for your conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this as well. And like I was telling you earlier, uh, you know, I hope to make it out to London one of these days and maybe we can go have, uh, uh, you know, some lunch or dinner. Absolutely. We'll have some fish and chips. That would be great. (laughs) Okay, great speaking to you, Jeff. Cheers. Next week, episode 65 is with Judith Quinn. She has a company called yourwholevoice.com. That's the website, yourwholevoice.com, where she has people to find their voice to improve their communication. People who are maybe afraid of public speaking, she helps them um, feel like they have a voice and communicate, speak better. And we hear a lot of stories about how people were able to get much more done in their life, get much more confidence in their life and to do things which they would never have expected to result just from simply improving their their public speaking or just improving their communication skills. So that's next week with Judith Quinn. Do leave a review for us on iTunes. That really helps to get the show to more people. Maybe share this episode with anyone. For example, if you know someone who whose marketing is not as good as it could be, certainly if their digital marketing strategy, if they don't have a strategy, they definitely need to listen to this podcast, to this episode. So if you know someone who has their own business and needs some help with marketing, this could be a good episode for them to listen to. Hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and have a great week. See you next week.